0: good morning. It's good to be here in Flint, Michigan, at Calvary Presbyterian Church. Actually, my third time to stand behind this pulpit, the second time preaching in a worship service, and one other time was, I guess, a theological lecture. I was a a guest speaker at your uh, Reformed Theology Conference a couple of years ago, and uh, so Pete Scribner, a good friend of mine, I said, Pete, well, what do I get to teach on in the, the theological lecture? And he goes, oh, unconditional election. So he gave me a doozy, as we all know. Um, my first time here was the first weekend of October 1998. And I was here because I remember our search committee at North Oaks Church in Clarkson was sitting right back there watching and listening and judging and evaluating, but uh, I remember being here. It was a great pleasure. Um, I had told Pete a few weeks ago, just let me know if there's anything I can do because I know it's been a tough year for for Calvary Church. And he goes, well, now that you asked, I'm going to be on vacation. And so uh, I know he's in Oklahoma and Missouri, and uh, this morning was a perfect morning for me to come because it's uh, the morning where our youth group comes back from New Jersey. They've been doing... Hurricane Sandy Relief. And so this morning is the one morning, one Sunday morning during the year where there's actually no sermon. The youth lead the whole service. They, they greet, they usher, our, our praise team, praise band, the way that we worship with them. The youth will be doing all that, and then they'll be giving a report of all their testimonies. And so um, hopefully somebody usually videos that one. I'll be able to watch that when I get back. Well this morning as I prayed and thought about what to share I thought that grace would be a good topic. Can I get an amen? amen? Grace is one of those things that should never get old. Should always be fresh. But you know we as as fallen human beings sometimes we take grace for granted or we we fail to respond to the ongoing grace, the abounding grace. This morning as we'll see the overflowing grace, we We're limited in our capacity in and of ourselves to grasp it, to receive it, to uh, rejoice in it. And so this morning, uh, together, I want to call us all to think about the grace that overflows. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are uh, the gracious God, the giver of life If it were not for the grace even before the foundation of this world that you extended to us, we would not be here. Or at least we would not be here in a relationship with our Creator. So we are thankful for the grace that overflows. May it overflow this morning on each and every one of us, beginning with the preacher, but for all of us, both young and old, no matter where we are, no matter what we're experiencing, whether we're on the the mountaintop rejoicing in the greatness of God or whether we are in the valley of despair, even the valley of the shadow of death, may your grace overflow to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot of different ways to craft a sermon this morning. We're just going to approach the scripture this way. I'm going to read 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17, a a copy of that. And the ESV is in your bulletin. And then we're going to go back and work through it verse by verse. So there won't be three points to this sermon this morning. There'll be kind of as many points as there are verses. So. Not sure how Pete approaches that, but sometimes I do it this way as well. A little advance uh, about this section of 1 Timothy is the Apostle Paul wrote this letter and Timothy received it. Uh, Most of the scholars believe in about A.D. 65, so just 30 plus years after the death and resurrection of Christ. So the the memories, the the power, the stories, the these things were fresh. We had living apostles at that time that were eyewitnesses to the very grace of God. John had said they had they had touched it. They had been with him. They had experienced this grace firsthand, and Paul had experienced it firsthand in a, in a unique way. It was. Purely a post resurrection experience for the Apostle Paul. And Timothy was pastoring a church at this time in in Ephesus, and he was dealing with a lot of issues. There was a lot of stuff going on in a church in Ephesus. But at this particular time, there were primarily false teachers. False teachers are so quick to come in like ravenous wolves and, ra- and, and, and come in and try to, to draw the flock away. So it's in this context that Paul writes these words, beginning with chapter one, verse 12 of 1 Timothy. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive this mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go back to verse 12, and we'll get started. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now, when you read Paul's letters, and you read about him in the book of Acts, you know, He wasn't the kind of man that just handed out generic thanksgivings. That seems to be popular in this world. A secular world, which even still has a day on their secular calendar called Thanksgiving Day. And there's just all these thanksgivings giving out kind of generically with no particular object in mind. Well, Paul didn't do that. Paul knew from where And from whom his blessings came. And he was not shy about letting people know. He begins this section by saying, I thank him. How long has it been since you have thanked him? Since you have really thanked him from the bottom of your heart to where what flows out of you is a a hymn or a song or a or a testimony of praise to the God who made you, the source of all blessing, the Father of lights from whom come all good gifts. Paul said, I thank him, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Immediately, Paul invites his listeners, his readers, Timothy and the the people in Ephesus that Timothy would have read this letter to, He said, it's not just my Lord. He's not just my personal Savior. He's our Lord. And the blessings and the grace which overflows comes to all of us. He thanks him specifically because he had given Paul strength. When Paul was dead in his trespasses and sin, he was a zealous Pharisee, a student of one of the greatest Jewish teachers of the age, and yet, Paul was on a mission to go to Damascus and imprison Christians, to go grab people just like you, just like me, take us back to Jerusalem and put us on trial and throw us in prison. He was a man on a mission. And yet, in the midst of that, God gave Paul strength, life, a new purpose, a calling. And, it, and he also said, he has judged me faithful. That's why I give him thanks. Thanks. Faithful not because Paul was relying on his own strength, but because he now had discovered and experienced a new strength, the very power and strength of heaven that comes to each one who becomes a child of God. And he also thanked God for appointing him to his service. And appointing Paul to the service of God, he surely did. He took a man who was headed to Damascus on a mission. He thought he was serving God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he discovered on a road to Damascus that he was a blasphemer, a persecutor. The chief of all sinners is what Paul finally understood when the grace of God overflowed to him. Is anyone here ever overwhelmed by what they perceive God is calling them to do? Do you, do, you, do you understand what God has called each and every one of you to do as, as husbands, wives, parents, grandparents, children, brothers and sisters, and then add on to that responsibilities and callings and duties both in the church and in our culture and our society? It can be rather overwhelming of what God has called us to do. But we learn from Paul that we are to thank him who has given us strength. And he has given us the strength to do it. And by this overflowing grace, we get a little glimpse of this, that even before the foundation of the world, God somehow and some way, I don't know how, judges us faithful before we ever get started. That's a good God. That is a good God who lets grace overflow to us. He says in Philippians, Paul says, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He writes again in Philippians chapter 4, after experiencing the grace of God, he said this statement, which is an outrageous statement, but it's true if you're a child of God, full of the Holy Spirit. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, our next verse, verse 13, Paul gives a little bit of his testimony. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. See, Paul received this strength. He received this favorable judgment from God and this Incredible call to service to be the the apostle to the Gentiles in spite of the fact that he had failed God miserably with his whole life. He was a blasphemer. He came to understand himself. That was his self-identification once he was confronted by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He realized that he could sum his life up by saying that I have completely misspoken about God, even though I had factual information, I had memorized the Old Testament Scriptures, I had sat under the great teacher Gamaliel for years, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, of the tribe of Benjamin, and he was was your wonderful citizen of Jerusalem. And yet, he understood that he was actually a blasphemer of God. He had failed to love the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he had fallen woefully short of loving his neighbor as himself the two things upon which all the law and the prophets depend. He saw himself as a persecutor. He went after people like you and me. He despised people like you and me. He went after good people people that had been declared righteous in the sight of God through faith in Christ. He was on a a special operations mission to drag people out of their homes and before the court and have men and women thrown into jail. He was even running the coat check the day that the deacon Stephen, the evangelist, was martyred when they stoned him. It said they laid the coats at the foot of Saul, who gave his willing participation by running the coat check for that terrible event. He identified himself as an insolent oppressor. He was a violent aggressor against the church. And this was the very condition Paul was in, vehemently opposed to the things of God when God met him on that road to Damascus. He wasn't seeking God. He wasn't trying out Christianity to see whether it could help his marriage or it could help him in his financial life or make him a better employee. He didn't come to the church to see whether it would work for him. No, he was intent on destroying the church. And God interrupted his life with overflowing grace. He said, I received mercy Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul fell right into that category. He became the recipient of exactly what Jesus prayed for on the cross Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. I am so thankful that so many of my sins, both before and after my conversion, I acted in unbelief. There's a few that I'm still concerned about at times because it seems as though I willfully did it. I made decisions, but I I sure hope and believe that even those fell into my category of my ignorance. And I believe God's grace is overflowing. Well, verse 14, here's our central verse of the message this morning. And the grace of our God overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus a little secret about the Greek language I'm no Greek scholar but I had to study it to get through seminary you know in English when you want to emphasize a word and I've even done it in my notes here you'll 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 make the word in bold print or you'll underline it or you'll change the color of it or you'll put a star or an asterisk out next to it but in the Greek New Testament or in the Greek language when they want to emphasize a word they move it to the front of the sentence Guess what word in the Greek is the first word in this sentence? Verse 14. It's the word overflowing. It's the first word that comes to your eyes when you read, if you could read and understand the Greek language. And so Paul And the Holy Spirit, inspiring Paul, says, get this, that the grace of God is overflowing. That means it is abundantly coming from heaven to earth in its flood stage for those who are willing to receive it. It means to abound over and beyond, to be present in great abundance, to abound exceedingly, above its usual measure. When a river overflows, we've all experienced that or seen it or heard about it. It means that what is in that, between those river blanks, that, the, the, the water can no longer be contained. It, it breaks levees. It overflows earthen dams. does a lot of damage. It spreads its influence beyond the normal boundaries. Well, in Jesus Christ... When Jesus Christ came and lived and died and was raised again from the dead and ascended to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and this message goes forth to all the earth as it continues to do today, the grace of God moves outside of its normal boundaries. I have the unique privilege of experiencing something that I've never known anybody else that's ever experienced this. Our family owned a waterfall. Anybody here ever owned a waterfall? I had never heard of anybody that ever owned a waterfall. Well years ago in North Georgia, my dad went up there and he bought four acres of property in North Georgia near Clarksville, Georgia and he came back and said, guess what I bought? And this four-acre piece of property in the mountains of North Georgia had like a 300-foot waterfall on it. And you could camp out at the very bottom, and in the morning, you know, once you're gritty and dirty and got campfire smoke in you and everything, you could go under and stand under this waterfall just overflowing down off this mountain. And as you would go and get under that waterfall overflowing as it did you became cleansed you became refreshed and you could start that day of camping with a new vitality it seemed does that describe the grace of God in your life? having believed and having received the grace of God found in Christ are you experiencing or have experienced a cleansing a refreshing, a renewal, a reinvigoration that is so dynamic that it's called a new birth, a new life, a new creation. Behold, the old, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's what Paul's talking about. It's what happened to him. Verse 15 the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost now i could have preached just on that one verse because there's four wonderful points for every preacher right in that verse to preach a wonderful organized message right from the right from the scriptures and the first one is that the claims of the gospel are true and trustworthy you know we live in a world today where so many people do not believe that the gospel is something that weird people bigoted people homophobic people people that are associated with that weird baptist group out of Kansas City that go and picket you know funerals of of deceased Military. They they see us as the church as this is not true and this is not trustworthy. It's a bunch of hypocrites and and and, you know their eyes are blinded to the to the true reality. Often they focus their eyes just upon our sin and not on our redemption. But Paul goes, the claims of the gospel are true and trustworthy. And I guess at the very core of the gospel, maybe maybe you've been there, or are there today, is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. Jesus Christ died died as a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice for whosoever would call upon his name for the forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus Christ, three days later, rose from the dead and then 40 days later ascended to to the right hand of God the Father where he sits there this very moment in history praying and interceding for us. If you believe that, if you say that is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, you are a child of God. And you are a recipient of overflowing grace. Well, the second thing in this verse 15 is the offer of this gospel is to be worldwide. He says that Christ Jesus came into the world. He didn't just come to Jerusalem, or he didn't just come to Flint, or he just didn't come to Clarkston. He came to Jerusalem and Galilee and those areas and then sent his disciples and the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to go into all the world, and they've been doing it ever since. We just sent a family from our church to Thailand to go to a place where less than 1% of the people there believe in Christ or have even heard of Christ. The Great Commission for today. I'm sure your church supports different missionaries that go and do the same thing in, in the dark places with the hopes that grace would just overflow like a river overflowing its banks. Well, in the core of the gospel is Jesus saving sinners of which we are the the blessed recipients of that. And then we see in this verse 15 that the application of the gospel needs to be personal. Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. It wasn't just something for the people. It was a gospel for him, to save him, the great sinner. When he became convicted of his sins by the Holy Spirit, he no longer compared himself to others in a way which boosted his his mental esteem or self-esteem, or it wasn't in a way that minimalized his sins. He immediately confessed his sins. He was no longer like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 who went to the temple to worship and pray like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But Paul shows us a living example of what true repentance is like. He had become aware of his own sin, and he became just like a tax collector in his own eyes standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Remember when when Paul was converted, he was blind for three days. He could not lift his eyes up for heaven. God just had him stewing there for three days, probably working these things in his soul and in his mind and heart. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There was a fellow named Thomas Bilney, In 1520, he was elected a fellow of Trinity Hall in Cambridge and his nickname was Little Bilney because he was apparently a very short fellow. Well, this man, Little Bilney, Thomas Bilney, was searching for peace, but he couldn't find any. And then he records this in one of his writings. At the first reading, As I well remember, I chanced upon this sentence of St. Paul in 1 Timothy 1. It is a true saying worthy of all men to be embraced that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief and principal. And this one sentence, Bilney says, through God's instruction and inward working, which I did not then perceive, did so exhilarate my heart, being before wounded with the guilt of my sin and almost Being almost in despair, that even immediately I seemed unto myself inwardly to feel a marvelous comfort and quietness, insomuch that my bruised bones leaped for joy. After this, the scripture began to be more pleasant unto me than the honey or the honeycomb. Now, most of us have never heard of Thomas Bilney, but we've heard of one of his most notable converts, if you're a student of church history. A fellow named Hugh Latimer, who later became one of the more popular preachers of the English Reformation. And Latimer stood in the crowd as Thomas Bilney was executed for his faith. And he admired the courage which little Bilney went to the stake for his simple faith and belief in Jesus Christ. And from then on, he referred to him as St. Billney, a product of overflowing grace. Well, verse 16, we're headed towards the end. Two more verses. Paul writes, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. One thing Paul understood is that his conversion to Christianity, among a number of things, it was used as an illustration to himself and to others in how God shows perfect patience to those who deserve perfect wrath. Wasn't God patient with Adam and Eve? Yes, he kicked them out of the garden, but wasn't he patient with them? What did he do after they fell? He, he, he showed them how to clothe themselves, and there was still worship that went on, enough to where Adam and Eve undoubtedly had instructed their children on how to worship, and their son Abel came and brought a worthy sacrifice. God was patient with Adam and Eve and their sin, certainly was patient with Abraham, the father of our faith. You remember the debacle when he had been given the promise of God and and, and Abraham became impatient and married his wife's uh, attendant, Hagar, and said, well, by human effort, I will bring God's promises about, and their child was Ishmael. God, his perfect patience towards Abraham, his patience with Moses. And I have to remind myself that Moses spent 80 years in the wilderness, not just 40. He spent 40 before he saw the burning bush, and then he spent 40 after that with the people. God showing his perfect patience towards those whom he loved. Not to mention King David, even after his affair with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband Uriah the Hittite. How about the New Testament church? Just read the problems and issues in places like Corinth and Galatia and if you dare to look close enough in Flint and in Clarkston and anywhere else where there's a church that names the name of God. God pours out his overflowing mercy and grace to display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I am convinced that we as church folk, yes, I grew up in Tennessee, that's what we say, church folk, we are so very prone to forget this very thing, and we often miss it all together. I'm also convinced as 18 years as a pastor that there's people sitting right in the pews that have never seen the overflowing grace. But I want to remind you this morning and proclaim to you that it is available in record quantities. It is in flood stage today. A few years ago, I took up a new hobby. I took up birding. And I'm not an expert in birding, but I got my binoculars. I got my Birds of North America book. I even have an app for my iPhone where I can play the bird songs and and look up 954 species of birds right on my phone. I got my binoculars. We've got four bird feeders in the backyard. Man, I love birds. Well, we we're on vacation a few years ago, we're tubing down the Shenandoah River where West Virginia, Maryland, and Virginia all come together, and I'm floating down the river, and I'm a brand new birder, and there are these birds flying over everywhere, and I'm just looking at all these birds. And I and I kind of thought they were bank swallows, but I wasn't sure. I was a novice. So, I looked up in my book when I got back small, slender songbirds nest in colonies and streamside banks. They're white underneath, brown on top, have a small bill, long wings, and they love to eat insects. So, here I am. I'm, I'm a new birder, I'm fascinated with them. And so, I gotta remember we're in West Virginia, we're out in the, in the, in the, in, in the middle of nowhere. And there was this good old boy who drove us on the bus with the tubes to drop us off. And he's waiting there at the end of the tube run with us. Just a good old boy from West Virginia. So I'm all excited. I get off that tube and I go up there and I go, Hey man, what are those birds out there? What kind of birds are those? And you know what he said? I never forgot. He goes, them's just old Birds eating bugs and I got an arrow through my heart i went, how can you say them's just old birds those are bank swallows how can you miss that they're white underneath and they're brown on the top and they got those little pointy wings and they they go around and you can see these little holes in the bank and 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 the more bugs they eat the less bugs eat me and all these things How could he miss that? While he was working, grinding out a living in good old-fashioned America, where life was tough, money's not growing on trees, it was a Monday, dog day afternoon in life, and somebody wanted to talk about birds. People miss grace the same way. Every now and then somebody will show up. Maybe it's me. I'm a little excited about grace this morning. I hope you are. But you'll see someone in your midst that suddenly they're they're tasting overflowing grace in a way. And they come in and they start going, are you through with that grace and what it did? And this is what I used to be. And this is what's happening in our youth group. Or, boy, did you hear that person so excited in Sunday school class? And we are so prone to go, ah, it's just Grace. Church has been talking about that for years. Bah humbug. We're prone to that, folks. We're caught up in the demands of life. And if it were left up to us, we would miss it all together. But aren't you thankful for God? Who, when he pours out his grace, he pours it out on us his perfect patience. He was patient with me for 27 years. I had a number of close encounters with him, but I, I did so many things that he could have just, he could have hit the smite button on the computer at any time and I would have been done. But he was patient with me. Because one day he had a plan from all eternity to get me right underneath the stream of overflowing grace Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Well, if you've been following in the bulletin, you notice we have one more verse. Another verse that could be a series of sermons. But I thought this morning it would be good just to sing the great hymn which was inspired from this verse. So if you will stand and our musicians will come up and we're going to sing, Immortal, Invisible, And let's look to God as recipients of overflowing